Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Midwatch Podcast. And boy, has it been a while since I've said that. I just want to start off by saying I apologize for the uh, about two-year hiatus uh, I have taken from this podcast. Um, it seemed to be really taken off. We were getting about 500 listens, downloads an episode, um, and then I completely stopped. So uh, I just want to apologize for that. And, uh, you know, CDD just really got in the way of being able to have uh, any kind of free time to do anything. Um, so, but my promise is from here on out, we're going to try to get this podcast back up and running. I'm going to bring you guys the best stories, the best information uh, I possibly can in regards to the military. And um, on today's episode, we had Joshua Elliott on. Uh, he, I served with him on the current ship I'm on. Uh, he's been out of the Navy for a little over a year now. And, um, you know, we just, we talked about a lot of things. We just talked about, uh, military, obviously, we talked about the Naval Academy, which he's a graduate of, we talked about, um, you know, being a naval officer, what it means, what you do, how, how do you become one, uh, and just, a, we touched on a lot of information about this podcast, so I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did filming it. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> how you been? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good overall. Uh, I got a couple different things in the works, but I'm also... I want to compliment on you, you on your chair, man. That is super legit looking. Oh, thank you. Yours, it's like a it's like a gaming chair. And it's like this is like my favorite esports team. It's like their personal chair. Okay. Yeah, my uh, sister in law, she's actually a pro on Twitch. Oh, really? I guarantee yeah. she probably has something like this. Then it's like a staple in like the gaming community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, she it's has a, a pretty standard chair. Her computer is pretty cool though. It's a big old cone. It like reclines. Jeez. how's everything going with you good uh i got like i leave in exactly a month i'm off the old ddg 117 okay uh heading to texas san antonio okay for uh instructor duty so i'm excited about that we just sold this house it actually sold so fast that we have to rent it from the people for a month <laughs> Dang. um and then the house buying process out there is not going very well just because the market, it's just, you're getting outbidded like, like 10, 20, 30,000 over asking price. Like it's nuts. We're in Texas, San Antonio. Do you, uh, well, I'm guessing you already have a realtor out there. Yeah. I'm going, we're going through the homes for heroes program. Okay. So they like assign your realtor and then you get like money back at closing and stuff. We did if it. If you the- don't like them, let me know. Cause I know a guy out in San Antonio. Okay. Yeah, we're this week we're we're just trying to do like find like new construction just cuz it's easier like I'm not bidding against anyone. So, we're going to see how that goes, see if we can find cuz there's tons of new construction out there. The city's like expanding. It's like Well, yeah, plus new construction worked really well for you there cuz I, I bet you guys made a killing. Yeah, I, we we did fairly well. <laughs> um and uh you know, you get to pick what your house looks like, get the paint, you know, it's just it's kind of it's a lot nicer and then a lot of times like for this house and a lot of the builders out there, they pay all of closing costs too. It's like oh, part nice. of like their deal. So we're going to see how that goes. It's really hard to find a good school district out there too. That's like the, the finding like a house that we want in our price range in a good school district. Mm-hmm. Like those three metrics are like impossible to find. So, okay. But we're, uh, we think we found an area that we like. It's the second best school district uh, in San Antonio. So, and it's right next to a few bases. Um, so it, it's, it, or it's right next to the base. So it's like a 20 minute commute for me. So it's not too bad. 
is base housing an option so you don't pigeon yourself in pigeonhole yourself no nah. it's it's like worse than mayport oh. <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's terrible and it's it's tiny like it's only like the biggest one they have is like 1250 square feet oh, and, wow. the ha- and the house we're in now is 3000 square feet so yeah that, that'd be a big downsize but Jeez. yep so um i do have like a few things i want to talk to you about yeah uh, let's go just because um you know the audience that does watch the podcast sometimes they're looking to get in stuff like that so i just kind of want to hit on like a few marks of like your career obviously and then i definitely want to get into like what you're doing now um but uh i have as you know right in the military we have our 11 general orders um, but before I like to start podcast to kind of get the brain going, I have the 11 general questions for you. Um, let's just, go. Just th- say the first thing that comes to your mind, one, two word answer. Um, it's just going to kind of be like a, a rapid, uh, rapid session of questions. Let's do it. All right. So number one, who's your favorite superhero? Spider-Man. All right. Who would win in a fight? Chuck Norris or Bruce Lee? Bruce Lee. If you could... Raise one person from the dead and have a walk with them in the modern world. Who would it be? Wow. First thing that came up was my grandpa. So I guess my grandpa. Okay. Uh, what was your first car ever? Saturn SC2. What year? 1997. If you could have dinner with one person, right, alive or dead, who would it be? Um, shoot. Maybe Confucius or Lao Tzu. Okay. If you could be any movie character in real life, who would it be? Oh, crap. <laughs> Look, man, I don't really watch movies. Whoever's really ripped and jacked and like six foot four. Or... <laughs> any character, the, any character, the rock plays. Got it. There you go. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite chick flick? Once, once again, I, I don't watch a lot of movies. So All right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, pick one honor, courage or commitment. I'd say honor. If you had a, uh, if you had all the jobs paid the same, oh, I'm sorry. If all the jobs paid the same, what would you do? What I'm going, what I'm in the process of doing right now. Okay. Assuming you can't expand on that. I can later. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, if you were in an airport and the airline gave you one free ticket, where would you go? I'd go back to China. And one item on your bucket list. Um. Crap, man. I, I don't really have a bucket list. Like I'm living life pretty good right now. All right. One thing you want to do in the next 10 years. One thing I want to do in the next 10 years. Um, I want to travel the world more extensively. Okay. All right. So um, obviously, I mean, I know your background, right? Some people who are watching may, um, but obviously we met uh, on, um, on Paul Ignatius, the ship that we were both stationed on. Obviously, you were uh, one of the junior officers, the navigator on board. Um, but what kind of uh, I like to normally start the podcast like you're a senior in high school. I'm in math class next to you. Who are you? So in high school, th- this is uh, describing all the military experience or well, just, it, I kind of like to start here and then kind of what led you to the Navy or what, okay. or to the academy, you know, for for your uh so senior in high school, I was just an extremely goofy kid. I was part of the rowing team. Um, we all swam just because I was by far the slowest swimmer there. And when I say the slowest, I mean, literally it was all the guys, well, and some girls, then all the girls, 
and then it was Josh Elliott. <laughs> I was the slowest guy, and they literally just put me into places where there weren't enough people just to get points on the board, knowing that by me going so slow, it also give other people time to rest. Did so, you um, did you know you wanted to uh, like go to the academy while you're in high school? Is that something that you were actively working towards, or I did so. I, I knew I wanted to go there and I felt like that was the place to be. Um, I applied and got rejected. So I applied again and got rejected again. And then the third time I applied, I also um, enlisted to go nuke. Okay. And the day I was supposed to ship out, my dad told me to call the academy and let them know I was enlisting. And I did. And on the spot, the academy canceled my orders and issued me acceptance. Oh, wow. So what is, what is that? How many times can you apply? Like, is it once a year? So it, yeah, it's once a year until you're 23. Okay. So you, so you didn't, you didn't go into your 20, I guess if you graduate. Yep. Okay. Um, and what's that process like? Is it like, like what, what all, I mean, you don't need to go too in depth. Like what all do you need to do in order to like, like what's part of the package to apply to the Academy? So any Academy you go to, they look at the whole person concept and that's really important because for example, I had extremely good grades. However, I didn't have a lot of life challenges. So some people who got accepted the first few years that I didn't, they went through hell growing up. Okay. Whereas I had a pretty standard upbringing in the Midwest and then moving to Florida. So first off, whoever's listening to this, if you're interested in, a, in an academy, if you don't have the best grades, don't let that be a deterring factor. So you have the grades, you do an initial application. They send you through another application process. You have to get either a congressman or a senator's uh, nod of approval. That's a lot less intimidating than it sounds because they're allowed 10 recommendations a year. Okay. And it's their staff and that's all they do. So after you do that, you take a physical fitness exam and then you just wait really. How, how do you go about doing like that Congress? Cause that, that's actually something I specifically wanted to ask you about. Do you like write a letter to them saying like, Hey, this is my story. I'm wanting to go to the Naval Academy. Like would appreciate a letter of recommendation from you. And then is, is pretty it much something like that. So now keep in mind, this was over 10 years ago now, but so, when I did it, it was like an application package in itself. To apply for like that letter from that Congressman. Yes. And then if you were accepted for an interview, then you went out to their designated place you got interviewed and then they let you know within a month. Okay. I actually, um, I mean, besides talking to you about it, really, I, you know, I really don't know much about the Academy, but I watched that movie. I think it's called Academy with like Tyrese Gibson in it. Oh, uh, Annapolis. Or, or I'm sorry, Annapolis. That's it. Yeah. Like, how like, uh, like the whole like plebe thing and all that, is that like pretty like accurate in, in some shape or form or nah? <laughs> Nothing about that movie is accurate. Uh, okay. No, but being a plebe, it, it, it's interesting because you, you know, you don't have hands, you have paws. Uh, when you, you're not allowed to walk throughout the, the hallways, you have to, it's called chop. You got to run through them. It has to be in the center. You, you got to do something called square your corners, which is essentially, there's these metal plates in every single area that there's like an intersection in the halls of Bancroft and you go and you do a sharp 90 degree turn. And when you turn, you got to like go army, sir, or no, go Navy, sir, beat army, sir, <laughs> stuff like that. You're not allowed media for your entire first year. So no music, no movies, no TV. Oh, wow. 
while you're on premises, your doors are always cracked open at 90 degrees. Um, you're not allowed in bed before, I think it was nine o'clock. I hear things have relaxed a little bit ever since I left. But um, when I was going through, that's what plebe year was. And then every single Friday, you had some called a professional knowledge exam where you had this book full of prono and you would go through a different topic. And what that was doing was indoctrinating you into the, the Navy and the Marine Corps to help you figure out what kind of community you want to go into. Gotcha. That's something that like, I mean, I feel like it's common knowledge, but not many people know that like the Marines also go to the Naval Academy, right? Like the Marine officers. Yep. So is it something, did you enjoy your time there? I mean, did you, uh, um, yeah, I guess, did you enjoy your time in the Academy? So I did and I didn't. Um, the, the first year did not too much care for it during plebe year because I had to go through a, a process of learning humility, really. Because here I was, 20 years old, and I was taking orders from people my same age. Right. And I looked at them. I was like, who the heck are you? We're the same age. We graduated high school the same time. Who are you to tell me what to do? And besides, like, what you're telling me is blown. It's right. bull crap. Like, not the right order. And being, having, you're at 10, 11 years now? Uh, it'll, it'll be 10. Yeah. 10? Almost 10. Okay. I mean, same thing. A new JO comes up younger than you. You have right. more experience. Give you an order and you're like, ah, that's actually not the right thing. <laughs> but I had to learn humility through that. And as soon as I started to learn that and a greater respect for others, that's when I started to enjoy the process more. Okay. Um, sorry, my phone's just ringing. Uh, so after the academy and like senior year, like, so what is like that big fancy ceremony, right? Where like the, the ship picking or, or where you like pick the ship you go to. Is that like ship a real selection night. or ship selection? I'm sorry. Yep. What, is that like based on merit, like the order they go in or. So that's only for those who decide to go surface warfare. Okay. Um, so from there's a, a night before that where you find out what you're going. And so those who find out they're going Marine Corps, those who go in Navy, and then for Marine Corps, they find out their, uh, their, the equivalent of their MOS later. Mm -hmm. But for the Navy, you find out which community you've been accepted into. Now, I initially tried to go Intel, and I made it in the top four of 100 applicants, and there was only two spots available. Oh, wow. So when I found out I was going SWO, I was not happy. <laughs> not at all. But it ended up being the best thing that could have happened. So you have that. And then going to ship selection night, it's based on your order of merit within your entire class. Okay. And the higher up you are, you know, all the ships are on a big old board, all their names, and you get to choose where you want to go. So did, were you able to get what you wanted? Yes, I got my first choice. So after the academy, what is what's like... Um... What is life like after that? Like, I'm, I mean, I know the graduation itself is a pretty big deal. Obviously, normally some kind of like the president or something normally speaks, right? Who spoke at your uh, graduation? It was at the time Vice President Biden. Okay. Um, and like kind of, do you get like this, like time off after that or like, like so you get summer a, a break month, or? You get a month of something called basket leave. Okay. And that's just and like ba basket leave is leave. 30 days of free leave. 
and you get to do what you want, get your, get your affairs in order before you head out and do your thing with, with whichever community you go into. And for me, it was 30 days of leave and then I deployed. Oh, wow. So did you go right to the ship after that? I did. Okay. Well, I, I did my 30 days of leave and then I met my ship in Spain. Okay. And what you, I forget what ship you're on. What was your first ship you did? First one was Iwo Jima. Okay. So what was that like? Like you went from, you know, I mean, kind of a college student slash like military, right? The academy. Yeah. And then like right into the middle of a deployment. Like what was this? What was that like for you? It was really hard. Uh, I met them at the tail end of their deployment. So everyone was pretty bitter. <laughs> uh, they had been extended because of some stuff going on and they were already supposed to be home. No one wanted to be there. No one wanted to train. And here, I think it was like five fresh ensigns eager to learn showed up. And I remember, oh my goodness. So my buddy, Mark Flynn and I, uh, actually as well on the ship. So he yep. and I were on Polygnatius as well as Iwo Jima, but we sat down at a lunch table and it was literally like something you'd seen in a high school movie where every single person around us picked up their trays and went somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Just cause yeah. like, look at these happy people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so what was your job on the, uh, on the EWO? I was the assistant to the electrical officer. Okay. And you don't get to pick that either, right? You just kind of, no. as you get there, they kind of tell you what you're going to be. Yep. I showed up and they're like, you're going engineering. So I said, okay, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> now, that was it. <laughs> now as like a junior officer, right. You, we kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, you're, you're fairly young, right? Like, uh, early twenties, but yet you kind of get thrown into this leadership position, right? Yep. And, you know, junior enlisted guys, right? No matter what kind of officer you are, you're, you're kind of intimidated by it, right? But, and then you're kind of in this in-between part between them and like the chiefs who are there to train you. Like, what is, what is like that whole dynamic? Like, what, like, how, what is that like? Uh, and is, is that something that they prepare you for? Like in, in, you know, the academy or officer training or. Um... So yes and no. Um, so all plebes have to call their upperclassmen, sir or ma'am. And I thought it was extremely weird at first getting called, sir. I, I hated it. And, but after three years at the academy, when I showed up to the ship, it, it was just, it was, it was a normal thing. Um, let's see. Being on ships was normal as well from the academy because we had some called YPs, which were, you know, small, small ships in comparison. Mm -hmm. And we also spent summers at sea as well. However, your chief, whoever the chief is, makes a world of difference. I was blessed in the fact that my chief, her name was uh, EMC Bickle. She's in Japan right now. Uh, she's a lieutenant junior grade now, actually, oh, wow. but she was on fire. And I was told essentially to be on her hip and to learn for the entire first year. So that's what I did. Now she worked 16 hours a day, which meant I worked 16 hours a day, but I was constantly learning from her, seeing how she handled situations, um, seeing 
what sailors were trying to do to pull the wool over their eyes because right. that does happen of course <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't i don't blame junior sailors for doing that either but the point is it depends on who your chief is for me for the first year i didn't really feel like an officer i felt more so like i was a parrot and everything and just learning from a fire hose okay uh, i even though we knew about standard commands at the academy, it's a whole new beast when you're at the helm or commanding somebody at the helm of an 844-foot vessel. Right. So it's it's weird. Was, um, I mean, besides your chief, right? And that's a good point. Obviously, it's a a huge factor of who your chief is, right? Especially as your first command of the JO, because that's kind of where you're going to create your foundation, right? Um, yep. And your reputation. And your reputation. Is there any other places that you um, pulled like leadership uh, fundamentals from? Uh, I mean, you're obviously a pretty intellectual guy, right? So I know you're always in books and podcasts, stuff like that. Is there any other place that you kind of pulled uh, you know, theories of leadership from to, to kind of implement uh, as a JO or, or was it really just the chief, uh, the chief's mess? It was really the chief's mess uh, because here's the thing. Books are great. I love books. My one of, I've got a podcast that is dedicated just to books, but here's the thing. You can talk about theories all day long, but once you go out in the fire, right. guess what? You'll see what works and what does not. I forget who it is that said it, but everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And it's so true. Right. And the thing is being engineering for my first ship, I was with LDOs, commander LDOs, meaning they've been in for 30, 35 years. And right. they were in the Navy when a lot of things were, were okay that are not okay anymore. That was the environment. And I had to learn real quick how to talk to different people because guess what? In the Navy, most people um, that are just starting out, actually, that's not fair to say. There, there are a fair amount of people who did not have as kind of an upbringing as I did. Right. And the reason they're in the Navy is because they want to break free from that environment and create a new future for themselves. And I admire and I respect that. However, until I was around other people, I didn't know how to speak their language in a way because everybody speaks a different language. Right. Especially you know, on, on a bigger ship like that, like how many people do you have in your division? I had four divisions under me. Each one had about 10 people. So right. total so about 43, 44, 40 different walks of life and different exactly. personalities that you had to kind of adapt to and, 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 uh, cause obviously you can't treat everyone differently or I'm sorry, you can't treat everyone the same, right? You kind of have to base it off of their personality, their, uh, their upbringing. Right something might be a big deal to one person, but not a big deal to another. Right. And, and I'm, I can imagine trying to learn your job, right. Be a junior officer, lead all these sailors and learn, you know, how to, how to deal with all these different sailors. Um, it's a pretty instant, uh, intense job to do on such a person who's only in their early twenties. <laughs> it, it is. And here's the thing. When you talk with somebody, you both know. So let's say I'm back to be an ensign Elliot. And I'm with the electrical division, whoever I was talking with, the most junior of the junior sailors, they knew more about the topic than I did. And we both knew it. 
And that also comes, that, that comes back down to the humility aspect. So officers, I've seen two different roads take place. Some say, look, I don't know what's going on here. Please show me. Mm -hmm. And others pretend that they know exactly what's going on. And they seem haughty and arrogant. They seem prideful. And those are the officers who uh, I saw not really make it. Right. That's a, that's a pretty weird, like dichotomy, I guess would be the correct word to use. That is pretty much unique to the military, right? Like, even though like you're as a junior officer, right, you're, you're a junior officer, but yet you still get thrown into this, right? Right off the bat, you're in leadership, right? And any other place you work, you know, you start at the bottom and kind of work your way up. Once you're in a position of leadership, you've most likely done most of the jobs that you're responsible for, right? And in like, you know, junior officer cases, you're thrown into this leadership, but everyone under you has most likely been in the Navy longer than you and are the subject matter experts on the thing that you're making like the decisions for. Right. So, um, I mean, obviously it works. We've been doing it for, you know, a couple hundred years, but, uh, it's definitely like a weird di, di uh, I guess dichotomy, right. Would be the right word or situation that we put junior officers in. It is, but like you said, it works drinking through a fire hose. And then after a while you realize at the end of the day, the job of an officer and I've, I've failed at this numerous times. I've been out for a year and I can think about each individual person that I've had charge of. And I can think of an instant that I failed them. Um, but here's the thing. They are the experts there. Like you, you are the expert in medical care. I just needed to know how to make sure that your career was taken care of, that you're going to the right place and that mentally you were in an okay place. Right. And then I needed to know just enough to be able to tell my boss if something were going wrong, the plan to fix it, the estimated time, what potential roadblocks there are, and what the plan is to go over those roadblocks if necessary. Right. So um, after the EWO, you uh, obviously you tra uh, transferred to the Pollock Nations. How much say do you guys have in that? Like, do you have say uh, on your second tour what job you do? Do you at least get to be like, hey, I would like to do this job, right? Obviously, you came to the Pollock Nations as, as the navigator. How did that transition from the EWO uh, to the Pollock Nations happen? So it's a process called slating. You have, um, so there's like platform, location, and job title. Okay. And what you do is you rank down where you would like to go and then your preference. So like, you know, location is number one, the most important thing to me. So then if you said that, then they'd be like, okay, no matter what, he wants to go to Japan. He doesn't care what it is, what the job is. He just wants to go to Japan. Cool. And they will try to do that to the best of their ability. However, from the detailer's perspective, sometimes, sometimes it works, sometimes it does not. Right. But we just put in our preferences and we go from there. For me, so, uh, I speak Mandarin Chinese. I wanted to go to Japan. That didn't happen. <laughs> did you want to be a navigator? I did. And what is, so I, I know like some JO positions, you don't necessarily need to go to school. Uh, obviously, I think NAV is probably one of the ones that you have to go to the school, right? Prior to you do. filling that billet. Um, well, how long is how long is that school? At, when I went through, it was only 33 days. But okay. it was essentially sunrise to past sunset, 33 days. And that's like a pretty, uh, at least, 
I mean, my only experience with the service Navy is a destroyer. Right? I, I've never been on an amphib or anything like that, but I feel like navigator is like one of those weird, especially like at least in our department, you were like department head, but you weren't a department head. Like it's, is it like design, like that by design or is that just because of this, this, the situation of like the small department that we had on the destroyer? So for destroyers, that's uh, the old traditional way of doing things. What they would do is they try to find, from what I've been told, is they would find somebody who is, let's just say, up and coming or who has a lot of potential in the Navy. Like, okay, cool, navigator. Uh, let's let him try or her try to be a department head while they still have safety nets around them. Okay. That way, when they actually do go become department head, they have an idea of what is going on and they'll be able to excel even more. Gotcha. Because it's a, I mean, that's a fairly, you know, important job, right? As, as navigator, like you're in charge of navigating the ship. Um, and given that job to someone that's, you know, it's only their second ship in the Navy, that's a pretty uh, prestigious thing, I would say, to, to even be able to do that, right? It is, but that's when trust comes into play. So I had an entire team of quartermasters. Uh, I had one QMC, a couple QM1s. And then a uh, couple QM2s and some new quartermasters. But the, thi the, the, the thing is, it doesn't matter what somebody's age is, as long as I can trust them to call me and say, hey, there's a bright light that is coming right at us. Can you please come up here? Right. So um, pre-com, right? That was definitely a, a unique situation that you know we, we all experienced together. Um, and uh, as a JO, like, how was that experience for you? Like looking back, looking back, there are so many things I wish I could do differently. Um, I don't. Like, here's the thing: I don't under, I, I don't know what your guys's perspective are. At the time, I did my best, mm -hmm. and if you knew better, you would have done better. Right. However, if I could go back, there were many things I would do differently in regards to mindset and attitude, because part of the pre-com process, it's called strenuous duty for a reason. It's hard. Yeah. And that's okay. Uh, many of us spend months away from our families. I know that you spent far, far too long away from your wife and kids. And the, the truth is a lot of us, human nature is when we feel kind of like caged in a box that we're not living up to our expectations, what we do is we project it on other people. And usually that's leadership. Mm -hmm. Whereas in actuality, happiness is a choice. And we could choose to be happy. Yes, frustrating events occur. But we could have said, hey, yes, that happened. Let it go zero control over it. We could let our blood pressure rise or we could just chill out. So I, I think I steered away from your question. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I mean, I would say like, I mean, you're still talked to about this, like to this day on that boat, as far as being like one of the best JOs on board. And you definitely like, you know, it was shitty for me to be away from my family so long, but you were like definitely super inspirational and like one of the reasons like I got through it fairly easily. Um, so I don't know if like you were talking about yourself when you said that, you know, you feel like you could have done better or whatnot. I, mean, I guess we can always do better no matter what, but I think you did one hell of a job 
not just for myself, but I mean, like I said, you're still talk to to this day on board that ship about being like one of the best JOs. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that. Um, I was definitely talking about myself because there are everybody has had events where I could have stepped up a little bit more and tried to push them a little bit more. But at the end of the day, you and I know how tough the environment was. And to the listeners out there, do not mistake what I'm saying as regret. I have zero regrets. I did the best I could. However, if you would have known better, you would have done better. And a mark of growth and personal development is getting better and looking back and seeing, okay, if I were in that situation again, I would have done this and this, which is good because if you talk with people who are going through those circumstances, then you can help lead them into areas of success that you wish that you had when you were their age. Right. If, I mean, if it's, you know, if you never lose, you're, you're never gonna know how to get better. Right. So it's absolutely. So it's, if you're hitting the mark every time, you're never going to know that, you know, you're not doing a good job. You always got to mess up fall. Right. And then get back up and know not to trip over that stick again. Right. It's all, like you said, yeah, it's the all path part to of success. It's filled with failure. Exactly. And that's okay. Um, so what made you, I don't know how deep you want to get into this. Right. But like I said, like you had a really good reputation. Um, you really cared about the enlisted sailor, which was a very good aspect. Uh, Mm -hmm. and like reputation that you had pretty much amongst the crew, um, which sometimes is hard to find up in the wardroom. Um, what led you, right. And you're obviously really good at your job. What led you uh, to, to get out? And again, I don't know how deep you want to get into that, but. No, that, that's a fair question. I gave up a lot to leave. Um, record wise, I was constantly number one. I had the hardest jobs and I did extremely well. I was, but it came from being at the right place at the right time. Like it just so happened. I was the only white guy who spoke Mandarin Chinese. when the first time in history, a bunch of Chinese ships came to the East coast right place, right time. And it just went from there and caring about sailors. That's the biggest thing. The reason I got out was because I, well, there was some pretty messed up family stuff going on up North Mm -hmm. and my niece wasn't being taken care of. And there was a, possibility that I would, you know, have custody of her. And after one night where I found out that she was in the ER again, and would have a permanent scar in her forehead because her dad didn't take care of her. That's when I, I was essentially in tears and I called up Millington, Tennessee. I said, Hey, I will do literally whatever job you want, whatever job. I don't care if it's in charge of janitors flag eight, like literally anything, just get me up to Annapolis as soon as possible. But no matter what, I'm going to be in Annapolis. My time is coming up in a few months, or actually it was like eight, nine months. My time's coming up. So I'm either going to resign and go up there, or if you can guarantee me a spot and go up there, I'll go up there there. I said, I'm willing to wait here a few more months until the ship goes to Mayport, but I really need to get up there. And their response was, if you sign for department head, we'll consider it. 
And I said, if you're going to treat me like that, I will no longer have anything to, well, number one, I won't sign. Mm -hmm. I will submit my resignation. And the way it worked, because I never took leave, I've, I've been working since I was 10. I've always been working. So I had so much leave built up. And I explained this to them. I was like, the time I'd leave the ship would be very similar to when you would rotate me out. So that was their choice. Uh, I was bitter about it for a little bit. I tried to hide that from all the sailors. But after a while, I was like, you know what? This is going, this is going to be for my good for some reason. I let it go. And it has been. And I'm very grateful to the Navy for telling me no, because it's led to a whole new path. That's good. I'm, you know, I would have really liked to serve under Captain Elliot one day, but <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'm glad, obviously, uh, you know, everything worked out for the, for the best for you. Um, I appreciate that. I do miss coming up to your stateroom, bugging you about everything under the sun <laughs> walking into your little, your little Zen zone you had up there, uh, with your tea and your, uh, incense and stuff. I used to love going up there. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how much of that was actually legal. Captain <laughs> let me get away with a lot. <laughs> but, you know, that was one of the, the best aspects, you know, about you, um, you know, especially being one of your sailors, right. Uh, was just, I would come up and talk to you, right? And you're five, I think four or five years younger than me, right? And and you're definitely someone like I look, I looked up to. And like I would go to you for advice like all the time, like financial advice, um, you know, life advice, podcast advice. Just, you know, I, anytime I had an idea of like, let me go bounce it off uh off nav and see what he thinks about it, you know. Um so I definitely miss having that resource on board selfishly i'm sad that you're gone for those reasons but <laughs> hey in a month i hope in texas you're just off the charts in heaven yeah that's my goal i, I really can't wait to get out there and get some shore duty time and not worry about duty and underway and all the fun stuff that comes with sea duty yeah um yeah, def it. definitely uh kind of as you mentioned pre-com is definitely an arduous duty definitely deserves that title but uh I know personally, I, I will probably never be able to top this command ever again, you know, in from for the rest of my career. This would by far be the best command I've ever been to um, professional achievement wise. Um, and definitely a big part of that was I'm going to thank you for that. Right. Through getting me through Pascagoula and, you know, obviously you're a big part of getting me mapped to second. So uh, I'll forever be in debt to you for that. <laughs> um and definitely uh, formed a lifelong friendship that uh, is definitely worth having. So, um, so life after the Navy, right? Did you did you have a, a plan, right? Because it, it kind of, you know, you said you only had a few months left and, and you kind of didn't have that dis decision made yet if you were going to stay in or not, you know, if they were going to get you to Millington or not. Like, when did you kind of start planning uh, life after the Navy? Like, what was going to be for you? Oh, so because of COVID, the plans went to absolute garbage. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, so I was planning on going back to China for several months. I was going to go to Hangzhou, where there's a lot of tea plantations. And so I was going to go there, get my Mandarin back up, make friendships with a bunch of tea farmers. Then I was going to come back to the States, start up my cafe, 
and uh, go from there. What actually happened was <laughs> got here two weeks later, the entire world shut down. And being that Hangzhou was in China and COVID started in China, right. I didn't go to China. <laughs> <laughs> but it was at that point where I was forced to slow down. Like I said, I've been working since I was 10. And at that point I was, let's see, I was 28. And so I was forced to slow down and just look around and be like, okay, what is it that I actually want? And it was then that I realized I don't want to work my tail off all the time. I don't want to have to do that. That's not fun. That's what we did in the Navy. And uh, it's, it's not sustainable for long life. It's just, it's not good for the body. Rejuvenation and rest is critical. So at that moment, I said, okay, I'm going to transform nautical tees from the cafe scene into online sales. And I realized I actually shut down the LLC for nautical tees yesterday because I realized like, look, having a passion for something is amazing, but just mm -hmm. because you're passionate about something doesn't mean that it has to become a business. Right. And I realized that when I started getting a lot of orders and I was like, darn, another order came in. I got to fill this now. <laughs> that's not a good sign if you want a successful company. Right. It's when, so, you're, when your passion becomes a job, it's not always the best thing. Exactly. Yeah. I, I learned that the hard way. Yeah. I definitely experienced that like with the woodworking stuff, like same thing. Like it was no longer just going in my garage, building what I wanted to build, getting my mind off the day. It was going in the garage, fulfilling orders, necessarily not building things I wanted to build, but I had to, cause it's what the customer wanted. So definitely like, I understand that, uh, passion becoming a, your passion, becoming a profession is not always the best thing. Cause then it's no longer your passion. And a passion is critical, especially if you have a job that drains you. Right. Cause it's everything in life is either a drainer or an adder. Right. It's either recharging or taking energy away. Right. So if it becomes your job, it's no longer your escape. Nope. So, um, so th that's something that you're, uh, that you kind of came to terms with, right. And, and you made that decision on your own that you wanted to kind of step away from the T as like a, as a business. Yeah. So here's the point of just slowing down and asking yourself questions. The reason I love tea is because it promotes something called an alpha wave in your brain. It causes you to slow down, to think more in depth. Your brain is saying, I'm not in danger. I love the community aspect of it. So what I'm prepping for are retreats. I'm closing on a piece of property. It's a little over 12 acres sandwiched in between DC and BWI. Um, nice. Yeah, it's got horses on it right now. There's a creek running through. There's several acres of forest, rolling hills. It's this beautiful property. I'm turning it into retreats for community. We're going to have tea. We're going to, it's going to be customized to whatever the person in their life needs. And my wife, she is extremely good with uh, helping people map out where they want to go in life and with their business. And um, actually most of her clients are 40 plus year old women who are looking to her, she's in her twenties for guidance in that. So we're going to bring all these people in, customize retreats for them and help mm -hmm. them to kind of recenter, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And that's something that definitely in this modern world, a lot of people need, right? We get caught up in, 
all of our screens and our distractions and just constant flow of information. Right. And we just, we get lost in our own, we get lost in our own lives. So that's, that's awesome. That's a really good, uh, that's a really good idea. And it, that's definitely, um, I'm excited to hear that. So you're going to build like, are you going to build stuff like on the property, like cabins and stuff like that? It's going to be like overnight retreats or. That'll eventually be an option. Uh, so there's a two-story barn there. We're going to convert the second story into a loft. It'll be great for a conference oh, okay. room. Talking about maybe bringing tiny homes there. Oh, okay. A few tiny homes circling mm-hmm. around, but like a little campfire in the middle. But there are other things we are going to build. Like we're going to have a little vineyard there. Uh, like a Japanese tigazibo overlooking the pond, just different things to promote a relaxed feeling. That's awesome. Good for you, sir. Um, and your podcast, right? Definitely want to want to end on that. It's something that I, uh, I mean, I, I've been really diving in like the financial world, right? So I try to tend to listen to a lot of like financial podcasts on my on my drives to work every day. Um, okay. But sometimes like if a podcast finished and I'm like 15 minutes from the gate, like I'll throw, I'll throw one of yours on. Um, and it's just, it's such a, it's such a unique thing. Like I've never really seen it, right. Just, just 10, 15 minute segments of it's like a audible cliff notes. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of what inspired you to, to, to do it that way. Right. Cause normally traditionally podcasts, the best thing of it is it, it could be long form like this, a conversation, so it kind of made you take the, the route that you did. Oh boy. <laughs> so the complete honest answer is out of a hundred percent selfish reasons. <laughs> Whenever you do something, you have to ask yourself like, what does success mean to me? What does it mm-hmm. look like if I win? And something I always did was I'd go through books and I'd create notes from them because I realized I learned better that way. And reading books a lot of times is not the answer. It, you got to implement it. You have to take action on the information there. Right. And sometimes you got to read it and say, this information is bogus. I'm not going to do that. But that's for each individual person to decide for themselves. So for me, I was doing the notes anyways. And I was like, okay, what would be the best way to learn this information? And the answer is, okay, I read it, learn it once, take notes, learn it twice, and then I teach it. I learned it three times. Right. So like, all right, so what is one of the most cost-effective ways to do this? It's like, oh, mind your helm. I'll just create a podcast where I take the best books and I break them down into small bite-sized pieces. And then I have action steps that they can implement today mm-hmm. in order to help change your lives. Do you try to um, not put your own personal uh, like spin on what you're reading? Or are you trying to just teach the lessons as they're written when you kind of, you know, take, um, you know, the, the lessons that you're ta- you're getting out of the books and, and kind of putting your own personal spin on them. You, you know oh, my personal to- spin is part of everything. So one of my concerns was I didn't want to get sued for right. a copyright infringement. Now I know that there's some called the fair use law, but when, when I was going through this it was like, okay, if, if you're going to teach something, it has to be in your own words. And I wanted to try to break it down simply. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if I did that, it would reinforce it in my mind. And then from there, the action items, 90% of them, I create myself because I look through the material and I say, okay, of these, what would actually help someone out if they do? Okay. 
And a rule I have for the action items is I will not have an action item unless I'm willing to do it for myself. So this recent book, Stop Self-Sabotage by Dr. Judy Ho, I was really hesitant to go through the action items. So I made sure I slowed down and I did every single one because I, I, I thought they sounded weird. I was like, I know this would be effective. Sounds weird. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. And the power from it was absolutely extraordinary. And I think but, that's, um, a, that's important too. Like, you know, the, the old term practice, what you preach, yeah. you know, it, it's good that, um, and I think that helps you talk about those things, right? If, if you've actually done them and experienced them and right, it, it's a lot easier to, to kind of put them out there. Um, so that, that's, uh, I really appreciate that, especially someone like me, like I have stacks of books that like, oh, I'm like, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to read this book. Right. And it's just, I, I can't read. Like, it's just not, I can't read. It's just not, it's just not how I grasp information. Right. Like it's, yeah. it's just not how I, my brain is wired. So like your podcast has, even though a lot of the books I haven't even heard of, um, but it definitely helps me. I pull so much from them uh, just cause it's just, it's cliff notes. Right. And that's, that's how I learn, Right. Just tell me the point of this paragraph in a sentence, right? I don't want to read the whole paragraph. Mm-hmm. Just, just give me one sentence of, of what it's telling me. Um, so I, and I'm sure I'm not the only person out there like that. So uh, your podcast is definitely a, and it's, I feel like it's very unique, right? There's, I haven't seen many podcasts like it. So I hope you nothing but success with that. Um, Do you have any recommendations for improvement? Um, I would say, Again, selfishly, right? Like most of the books you're you do is is seem to be all kind of like self help leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe branch into like uh, other books, like fun. Like I mean, I know you're you used to always teach like finance and stuff like that on board the ship. I still use that PowerPoint you sent me freaking three years ago. Um, oh man, I actually I actually have it right here in my. We have like a family finance binder, and it's actually it's in there. Um, so I, I would maybe just say maybe broaden different types of stuff, different subject books, stuff like that. Um, to, I mean, a, maybe broaden your, to draw more audience to your podcast, right. To mm-hmm. help, to help you out that way. Um, but other than that, I, I think it's, it's amazing how you do it. I really, and it's extremely well scripted. Like, do you write all that out before you, you read it or like before yep. you record it? <laughs> Cause it's um just like your delivery is just, it's so, like there's no filler words. There's no, um, right. That's like, that's my biggest thing is I say, um, every 10 seconds, but it's, uh, like, it's just so well delivered. It's short. It's sweet. Like it. And most importantly, like you can tell by listening to it, that you care about the material that you're putting out. And I think that's super important as far as being a listener. Like you're not just doing it to do it. Like you truly believe in the stuff that you're putting out in, in, in those podcasts. So I think the fact that it's so organic and, um, and so much of you is in those words that that alone, I think makes it attractive to people as far as, you know, growing an audience. I appreciate that coming from you. Cause I know you'd tell me it was garbage. You so. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> sir. It's just, it, it's definitely unique. And that's, you know, the, the way that podcasts have blown up, right. It's, it's, it's really hard to, to gain traction. Right. Uh, and I'm sure obviously that's, that's probably not your main goal with it is to, you know, to earn from it financially, but 
you know, the fact that it's so unique is, is definitely going to help you towards that road. I believe it's not just like any other podcast out there. It's, it's definitely has its own unique twist to it. Do you mind if I tell you what my main goal for that is going to be in the future and just see your ideas on it? Absolutely. So the goal is it's going to be some called a lead magnet. So given all this content for free, I want it always to be for free and provide value to people that they could change their lives. But if they have more of a budget that they know about the retreat center Mm -hmm. and that they'd be willing to come up because number one goal is to have that area that we're about to close on, build it out. They go there and really have a personal development retreat. And then way down the road, well, I say way down, but in 10 years, I want to buy an island and build that up as a retreat center as well. Have that be another location. I mean, absolutely. I don't think that's a bad idea at all. And the fact that, again, like I mentioned before, like there's the way that you um, put together that podcast, you can tell that there's no, like there's no, motive behind it right like i don't feel like you're selling me things and even if you did put plugs in there whatever for your retreat just like the organicness of like your intent with that i I don't feel like that would be looked bad upon at all you know and i think it would definitely people would not mind um coming to like your retreats right and and just because the fact you're like you said given all that information for free i just there's no motive in your personality. And I think that's very attractive to people. Right. So I don't think that would be looked bad upon that. You're like, Hey, here's this free podcast. If you want more, come on down to our retreat for X amount of, you know, whatever the, whatever it may be. Yeah. So I think just the, you're, you're a genuine person. And I think that goes a long way, especially nowadays when 99% of the time people have motives, financial motives behind the things that they do. So I'd say keep being you, sir or Josh rather. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. Um so uh anything else you want? I mean I think we hit a ton ton of uh topics and this is definitely I know I uh oh. one second, sorry. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh this podcast got put on hold for you know almost two years, obviously, because C duty got in the way, but this is yep. this is the first one back and um I appreciate your time, obviously, and uh this is gonna be a good podcast to, to kind of relaunch the mid watch uh from here on out going back to shore duty gonna have a lot more time to do it and obviously i would definitely like to have you back on uh and hear more about this retreat once you kind of get things going i appreciate it what can i best do to serve your audience um like i said a, a lot of my audiences i i want to kind of go into the military uh you know Deppers and people thinking about joining the military. Um, so I just want to uh, just your perspective that you gave kind of just information, right? Uh, and it's good information. It's pers- like stuff that you actually went through. So I think the stuff that you shared about the Academy and all that was great uh, for my mm-hmm. audience. And um, I don't know. I just, I, I'm not the biggest fan of like where the military mindset is right now. Um, and I just want people to come in with a different mindset than I see a lot of people coming in now. So that's kind of my goal. Uh, don't want to dig, don't want to dig too deep into that, but I'm sure you can kind of figure out where I'm going with that. Um, I can, and that's a noble goal. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's kind of my, my goal with this podcast and 
uh, I, I think what you did was great um, that with the information that you shared. I appreciate that. It, would it be okay with you if I made a couple recommendations for you personally? Please. Okay. So John Lee Dumas, you're, are you familiar with EO on fire? Mm. Uh, fire nation entrepreneur on fire. So John Lee Dumas was an army officer. He uh, was one of the first to go get deployed to Afghanistan. And he just, he got out, he hated life. He was going through PTSD at 32. He started fire nation entrepreneurs on fire. He's 40 years old. Now he has close to hundred million downloads. Uh, pretty big, pretty big guy, but he has a journal called, um, let's see. I have it here actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It's called the podcast journal idea to launch in 50 days. Um, let's see. Honestly, man, it, it's expensive, but if you bought his book, the common path to uncommon success and follow his principles, then you'll have really clear clarity on where it is that you want to go. Now, with that said, if your goal of this is more as a hobby and you're not looking for revenue streams, and if it's a budget breaker, then definitely don't do it now. But uh, it's it, his, his book is actually the next one I'm going to cover after this one is finished going through. But uh, it is incredibly valuable. <laughs>